with us today. Uh, if you were, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to continue our series in 1 Peter. And uh, we are on week four. Week four in our series in 1 Peter. And um, uh, I couldn't help, as, as Ben was leading us in worship this morning, thinking about, and, and then he alluded to it right there at the end, that uh, in Connect Group this morning, I got to sit and just listen to a great uh, Bible lesson on the hope we have in Jesus. And even I specifically went to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, we jumped from a level, Revelation 1 there to Hebrews 6. And, and I'm sure if you were in Connect Group, you did as well. Uh, talking about the anchor of our soul. And knowing that if we are in Christ, that Christ is our hope, the hope of glory. Are you thankful for Christ this morning? I'm thankful that I know Jesus Christ, and I I hope that today, if you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to Christ, that He will reveal Himself through Scripture to you today, and that you will walk out of this building this morning having received the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Because He is the reason for everything. He's the reason we're here. In fact, uh, He changes everything. And in this letter of 1 Peter... Uh, Peter's writing this letter, he's writing it to believers, and he's writing to not only Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers. Uh, you can see the three words that are on the screen under First Peter here that say hope, trust, and endure. And these three words are just going to continually come up and really uh, the purpose of the book. Uh, if you have your bulletin, I encourage you to grab your bulletin and take some notes. Uh, I, I was either... Uh, I'm not sure, uh, maybe I was kind to you this morning because there's no blanks for you to have to fill out, but maybe that will make you fall asleep. I'm not sure, we'll see. Uh, But there is a statement there that really kind of encapsulates these three words and then also kind of the purpose of why Peter wrote this book and why he wrote this letter, again, to Jewish and Gentile believers who were scattered because of the persecution of, of believers. And it says here, uh, again, it's on your bulletin, goals of First Peter, inform believers of their living hope, exhort believers to trust God in difficulties, and challenge believers to endure through faith. And, and so as we walk through this book and continue to walk this book, let, the, let that just kind of be your guide. And I would encourage you uh, to read through the book of First Peter throughout the week. Don't just come in and, and hear a message here on Sunday morning and then put, put that away for another time, but kind of process through it. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of scriptures that you could read with it. And so I would encourage you to grab your bullets and every day this week, read through First Peter, read through this outline again. And I want to give you just a quick, really quick overview of where we've been that will really lay the context for what passage we're going to read this morning. Uh, in the first, uh, the first message we went through in First Peter, and we really went through just the first five verses, First Peter one, verses one through five, and really there was one word that stuck out. Uh, I think your bulletin says "chose," or I would say "chosen." That God chose us; that we were chosen by God. So, as followers of Jesus Christ. We have been chosen. That's what it really explains there in the first five verses. Uh, Then the next few verses, 6 through uh, 11 and 12 there, talk about one other word that we kind of narrowed in on, and that was faith, genuine faith. And and so we think about the first um, five verses, we've been chosen. 6 through 12, we have faith. And really what, what Peter was trying to explain is that trials, whether we like it or not, Trials are good for us. How many, how many of you have had a trial 
this past week or this past month? How many of you have had a trial in your life? Wow, look around. There's a thought of us having, having trials. And what Peter is going to say is that on the other side of trials, the blessing is really twofold. The blessing is knowing that your faith is genuine. Without a faith that has not been tested really cannot be trusted. And so that's what Peter says one of the blessings of trials is. The other blessing of trial is that we understand the sufficiency of God's grace. Because you can't really, ex- you can't really understand or explain the, the grace of God until you need the grace of God. And so on the other side of trials, we, we see God's grace and we experience God's grace realized. And so it's, it's a, a blessing of trials that I know my faith is genuine and that I know that God's grace is sufficient. This week I had an opportunity uh, to sit down with, with one of uh, members of our church. And, and I didn't realize, so in, in the software we had, it said that her membership date was 1974. And so I always kind of look over those things before I go visit. And, and, and Kay's 91 years old. And uh, she's been a faithful member of this church, what I thought was, since 1974. And uh, she is uh, not doing well now. She's on hospice. But I uh, got a chance to just sit there uh, at her bedside this week and talk to her. And so I just ask her the question, which I often ask uh, people uh, when they are coming to the end of their life. I just ask her, when did you give your life to Christ, Kay? And she said it was at uh, Hallmark Baptist Church in 1951. 1951. Uh, At the time, it was the reason I paused there is because it wasn't called Hallmark Baptist Church at that time. But in 1951, she got saved. And so she actually joined Hallmark Baptist Church in 1951 when her son was two years old. And, and so then I started talking through, well, I, I didn't tell her, well, I thought you joined in 1974. You know, I'm not going to argue with her, right? And, uh, and she explained to me that uh, she was in, in the Sunday school class as an adult with Roy McGinnis in 1951. Uh, and she gave her life to Christ and joined the church at that time. Um, and then uh, he left, and Pastor Edmondson came, and then several years later, I don't really remember the, the time frame, that uh, Roy McGinnis moved back to Fort Worth and started a church right across the street from her house. And so they decided to help him plant this new church. Uh, I think it was called Dixon Road Baptist Church. And, uh, and so then when he retired, they came back to Hallmark Baptist in 1974. So we were both right, okay? And, uh, but I, the testimony she gave was she had no regrets for what she had done for the Lord. Except one. She had one regret. And it's the same regret that... Uh, unfortunately, we continue to have these conversations with, with longtime members of Hallmark Baptist Church in the last few years. Uh, but the one regret that she, that she spoke of was that she should have done more for Christ. And, and so I was assuring her, uh, trust me, Kay, you've done, you know, you've done plenty. And when you enter the presence of God, you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And what Peter is trying to get these believers who've been scattered to understand is that the the blessing of going through trials is to know God is who he says he is. That's the song we just sang, in the good times 
in the bad times, I choose to what? I choose to follow. I choose to believe that God is good and God is in control. And that's kind of the underlying message that we can have hope and trust and endure because God is who he says he is. Last week in in 1 Peter uh, 2, we looked at the first 10 verses and really made three statements about those 10 verses. And that was, uh, you need to grow up. I just wanted to say that this morning. Grow up. Do uh, you remember, how many of you were here last Sunday? And la- last Sunday, about 90% of you lied to me when we started the message. Because I said, any of you guys ever said, you know, in an argument, just grow up? You guys remember this? And none of you admitted to it? Then I kind of got on you a little bit, and we asked again, and then most of you admitted to it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance this morning, first off, to be honest. How many of you ever used those words, just grow up? Anybody use those words? All right, see, you, you did right today. I'm proud of you. Grow up. And the reality is I need you as a believer and as a member of this church to grow in your faith because as you grow in my faith, it challenges me to grow in my faith. I need you to grow and you need me to grow so we can, the next point was, built up together in Christ. That God has placed us living stones, Jesus the chief cornerstone in this local body of believers so that we can grow up together, we can be built up together on Christ, the cornerstone, the head of the church. And the reason is, the third thing we looked at last week is so we can speak up for the cause of Christ. Is Jesus worthy to talk about? Then why don't we do it more? And and I'll point the finger of judgment on myself first. Grow up, be built up together so we can speak up about Christ. He's worthy to talk about, isn't he? And especially for those of you in the room that have been through what Peter is describing, these dark, deep trials, you have a treasure that you know your faith is genuine and God's grace is always sufficient. That kind of leads us up to where we're at this morning, all right? So let's look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 25, all right? 1 Peter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 25. So follow along as I read. If, it, if you don't have your Bible, it's, it's on uh, the screen. Also, if maybe you're looking on version, our outline is there this morning as well. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, so right there he's talking to believers. Remember we said he's writing this to believers who are both Jews and Gentiles. And so believers, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and really this is generic word Gentiles, not necessarily speaking of a nationality, but speaking of non-believers. Okay, so in verse 11, he's addressing believers, and in verse 12, he's addressing believers because he's saying it's for the sake of unbelievers. The word here in the New King James just says, Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation, or that they, really other translations would translate this, the meaning here is that they would believe. That they would see your testimony. So he's saying believers live like Christ so that unbelievers, when they see your testimony, will also place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so people 
are watching. Look at verse 13. And remember, it starts this word, this sentence with therefore, and you guys know if there's a therefore, you're supposed to look and see what it's. Very good. What is it therefore? We just told you, verse 11 and 12. Because you're a believer and people are watching that are non-believers, you need to act like Christ so they also can place their faith in Christ. Therefore, since people are watching, and here's a word that nobody likes. Okay? In fact, the reason I didn't use this word, so every week we've been using one word to kind of title the message, right? Uh, Chosen, faith, and last week, purpose. This week I really wrestled with two words. The first one being submit. Because if you look, this is what the rest of the chapter is about, is submitting. The next chapter is also about submitting in the context of marriage. And I don't like that word, and you don't like that word, so I chose another word called unfair, right? I listened to a message by Jonathan Bacluda over this chapter, and he, his title of his message was unfair. And I just like that better. I don't know why, but I do. Do you realize that this not just the word, I guess, the concept of unfair. Did you have to teach this concept to your kids? How did they learn it? Like they learned the word mine somehow, some way, right? Did you ever teach your kids how to say mine? And, and maybe you did. Maybe you were taking from them. I don't know. Hopefully not. Maybe it was caught not taught. But this word mine and this concept of unfair. How many of you ever bought your kids a meal and then just wanted a bite of said meal and they said it's unfair that you're eating their said meal? Anybody like that? Now, I, I learned this uh, a bad habit, um, and I won't tell you that I learned it from my dad, but, but I did, that, no, I don't order much. I, I, I know I'm getting old because I really get frustrated that I have to pay so much for a meal. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. i got to pay how much for what? And I just I really get angry. So I choose not to order a lot of times, and I just eat off everybody else's plate. <laughs> and uh, I was trained in that art, all right? I won't, I won't tell you who. In fact, we went out the other, eat the other day, and, and, and uh, said trainer of mine uh, was eating off everybody's plate. It's like, how disgusting is that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that is disgusting. That's what I do. But anyways, I can remember when my kids were little and buying them ice cream, you know, and I'm always trying to not eat ice cream, although I love ice cream. Can I get an amen for ice cream? I mean, we can't have it in our house because, you know, you're like, oh, I'll get a little bowl. And I, I seriously will eat the entire carton in one, in one setting, one night. I mean, it's three different times getting up, but it's, there's a little walking and exercise back and forth maybe. Uh, to that. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but my kids, when they were little, they would get, you know, get them ice cream cone, and in the back, I would say, because they always got different flavors, right, or even if it was the same flavor, I would say, well, which one of yours ice cream tastes better? And they always said, mine. And I said, well, let me test and see. So this would go on for five minutes. Well, I need another test, and I'd get both ice I'd eat half their ice cream, and it wasn't until they were about 18 they realized that it was doing this. But unfair. You, you had to learn pretty young, and it was really, really good for you to learn. Life is not what? Fair. Life is not fair. And in this text, there's 
three things I want to point out to you this morning where really unfair facts. Unfair facts. All right, so let's look at this. Number one, unfair fact number one. I know I didn't finish reading, but we're going to read it, all right? Unfair fact number one, we should submit to all authority. There's that word, submit. We should submit to all authority. And how many of you, the just little bitty rebellion 13-year-old kid just wells up in your heart when you hear the word submit? How many of you were, were um, for, let's see, what's the word they, they use? Um, hard-headed. Anybody hard-headed growing up? All right. I, I, I think I qualified for that. Hard-headed and, and maybe a little stubborn. And when I hear that word submit, that little 13-year-old boy in me just rises up. Submit to all authority. Look, look at verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself to every, 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 all ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God that I would submit to authority, but I don't like or want to submit to authority. Now think in the context of what Peter is writing here, this submitting to authority. Who's he writing this to? He's writing to Gentile and Jewish believers who are scattered all over the region. And why have they been scattered all over the region? Because of a horrible, wicked Nero. And it specifically says here, submit to the king or even to the governors who are executing his wishes. To submit to that authority. Now if you are a believer in the first century here, and you have had to relocate your home because you've watched other people die because they've claimed the name of Jesus and they've claimed that he really is the truth and the way and the only way to get to God the Father. He is the Messiah and you've seen your family and you've seen your friends and you've seen your neighbors persecuted, placed in jail because of Nero. And now Peter writes you this letter. Submit to all authority. And we would say, or at least I would say, that's unfair. I've lost everything. And you want me to submit to his authority. I would like to think that the older I get, that submitting to authority seems to come easier, but it always seems like I get that little 13-year-old attitude in my heart. And I want to rebel, and I want to do what I want to do. But why should we submit to our authority? Why should we submit to all authority? Because we already read this in verse 11 and 12, so that when people, remember what was happening here. They were telling, Nero was telling everyone that the Christians were the ones that burned down Rome. And because the Christians, okay, they were known as Christ followers or Christians, another name for them was those who were a part of the way. Right? Remember what Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the Way And so they were a part of the way, followers of Jesus. And what this meant was that they believed that Jesus wasn't just a good man 
or he wasn't just another prophet, that he truly was the son of God, that he came back to life. And because he came back to life, this changed everything. And, and so Nero is persecuting the Christians, and the reason he's getting away with it is because he's convinced everybody that the Christians were the ones who burned down Rome. This is the one that Peter is saying to submit to his authority. It doesn't seem fair, does it? But why would we submit to that authority? Because when people see that you're a follower of Christ and you've submitted, they also will want to be a follower of Christ. Because it's different. It's not normal. But it's what Jesus asks us to do, isn't it? It's what Peter is telling them to do. And it seems really unfair. Unless we think this is an isolated event, uh, on your bulletin, there's Romans chapter 13 here, right? So let's just uh, read this really quickly. Romans 13, verses 1 through 2 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And what Paul is saying, he's reiterating what Peter said, is submit to all authority. And Paul is saying here is that, understand something. When I submit to human authority, who am I really submitting to? God. So I'm really only submitting to one authority, and that is the authority of God. And as I submit to the authority of God over my life, then I will understand that all human authority has been ordained by God. Is God in control, yes or no? Do we always understand that God is in control, or do we understand what God is doing while he's in control? No. Do we have to trust even when we don't understand? In the good or in the bad, is God good enough to follow? Can he be trusted? Yes. And so I'm going to submit to the authority because I'm under the authority of God. And whatever authority he has over me, I'm going to submit to that. Even though it doesn't seem fair. The second one here on your outline. We will suffer under, the, under unfair authority. We will suffer under unfair authority. Authority. Look at verse 18, 19, and 20. Servants, again, this is really in our context would be more about um, employee-employer relationships. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Anybody in here ever had a, a boss that was unfair? Anybody currently right now working for a boss who's unfair? Okay, I'm just looking to see if any of the staff, Ben, all right. <laughs> well, let's take a poll. Thanks, Ben. How many, how many of you think that, that I might be an unfair boss? Raise your hand. You can, you can be honest. How many think I'm a fair boss? So, so let me change the question. How many of you think I tried to be a fair boss? How many of you think at times I'm not a fair boss? How many of you, is, is anyone here always fair? Why? You should be nice. James says we all stumble 
in a few ways. Is that what it says? Is that what James says? We all stumble in many ways. In other words, I'm, I'm a sinner and I mess up. I wanted to be a fair dad and I wasn't always fair. I wanted to be a good dad and sometimes I was and sometimes I wasn't. I had, a great, I had great parents, still have great parents, but they weren't perfect. I mean, they had perfect kids, but they weren't, they weren't perfect. <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter how, how good your boss is. There's going to be moments when you're just going to have to follow even if you don't agree. Right? You're going to have to submit. Verse 20 says, well, let's finish verse 19. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief and suffering for wrong, wrongfully. Um, Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, and this sounds really like I was 13 again, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, if you did something wrong and your boss gets on to you, that's not suffering for the sake of Christ, okay? That's, that's what Peter is saying. But if you do right and you obey and you do what is expected of you, and yet your boss is still rude and harsh and unfair, but you suffer, and what he's saying in the context here, if you suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, then it's commendable to you. And, and God will reward you for suffering. And here's what Peter is saying. On some level, every one of us is going to suffer unfairly at the hands of someone. And again, we're going to have to make a choice. Is God good in the good times and in the bad times? Is God in control in the good times and the bad times? Even though the relationships around me seem unfair, I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to follow Jesus. Look at the next one, number three. Man, I skipped a lot here. Do you guys want me to go back? or No, let's just keep going. Number three, unfair fact number three, our ultimate authority has also treated us unfair. If, you're, if you understand that statement there, you, something in you should have rose up a little bit. Like, I don't know that I agree with that. Who did we already say is our ultimate authority? God. So what is the statement saying? God has also treated us unfair. And so when you put it that way, maybe that ruffles your feathers a little bit. I'm not sure if I agree with that. But, But let's keep reading the chapter and then we'll explain this, right? Verse 21. For to this you were called. I don't like that. We were called to suffer, right? Because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. That, that verse right there, you need to circle, highlight, star that verse, right? That Jesus suffered for us. Was it fair that Jesus went to the cross? No. Why did he go to the cross? To pay for our sins. To pay for whose sins? Let's, let's keep reading verse 22. Again, it's unfair. Verse 22, who committed no sin. Hmm. Jesus did nothing wrong. 
but he's going to be placed on a cross. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He said nothing wrong. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So we're, we're going to suffer under unfair authority. And our example in that is who? Jesus. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins. I want you to, if you would, highlight or circle that word, our sins. And then either, if you, if you have room in there, right above it, or maybe draw an arrow out to the side, which is what I do often. I want you to, to write the word my, M-Y. Let's reread it with that new word inserted there. Who himself bore, what is it? My sins. Doesn't it seem a little heavier? In his own body, on the tree, that we, I want you to circle that word, or highlight it, or underline it. We're going to change that word we to what? To I. So let's read verse 24 again. You fill in the blanks. Who himself bore my sins in his own body on the tree that, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Was Jesus treated fairly, yes or no? Why did he choose to allow himself to be treated unfairly? For me. It was my sins that placed him there. Jesus was treated unfairly. Look at the next little subpoint here under three. You don't want God to be fair with you. So we made this statement here, our ultimate authority has also treated us unfairly. Maybe there's an initial like, ah, God treated me unfairly. But the reality is, you don't want God to be fair with you. I'm thankful that God is not fair with me. Because you know what fair is for me? You know what I deserve? You know what the Bible says I deserve? It says that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul said that in Romans 3.23. He goes on in Romans 6.23 to say, the wages, all right, what I deserve, this is what I deserve. The wages, the punishment of sin, which we have all done, me included, especially me, the wages, the punishment, what I deserve, what is fair, it's death. And, and what, is it, what is this meaning, death? Not, it's not just the, on this life I die. This is literally meaning it's eternal separation from my creator, God. My, my fairness, what I deserve, what is that I deserve forever for eternity to be paying the sin debt that I have. That's what I deserve. That is what's fair. 
The wages of sin is death. And what Scripture teaches us is that where I'm going to be spending eternity paying for my sins, my sin debt, what is fair is that I will be in a place called hell, suffering for eternity. So I don't want God to be fair with me. Because what is fair is eternal punishment. But Paul goes on to say the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was treated unfairly on the cross so that I also could be treated unfairly and receive grace. What an exchange. What is fair for me? The cross. I'm thankful God didn't choose, didn't, didn't treat me fairly. Are you thankful for the grace of God in your life? And this morning I want everyone to understand. We sang about the hope of Christ. We sang about the anchor that we have. That anchor of hope is Jesus Christ. And that whether we're in the good times or whether, whether we're in the bad times, whether it's fair or it's unfair, If we have Jesus in our life, we can trust that we will spend eternity in a place called heaven. I I sat uh, with Kay this week and I asked her, I said, Kay, how many many family members you got in heaven waiting for you? And her answer was, I don't know, half of heaven, I guess. (laughs) And maybe she's right. And I've watched people like her that are suffering at the end of their life suffer with a hope that I just can't understand. And the hope she has is that God is not going to treat her fairly, but He is going to cover her in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you've never received the gift of Jesus, the wages of sin, what I deserve is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you to give your life to Jesus today? Because you, trust me, you do not want to be treated fairly. Let the grace of God take over. And it's it's very simple. The scripture says that if, if we will admit we're sinners... If we will place our faith in Jesus Christ, and, and what, what are we believing? We're believing that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that he did live a sinless, perfect life, that he placed himself on the cross to pay my sin debt, to pay your sin debt, and that three days after they placed him in the grave, he came back to life. Can you say amen to that? And it changed everything. And so I'm believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And the only way that I can get to God is to believe what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Will you give your life to Christ today? Will you close your eyes for a moment this morning? Maybe you're new here this morning. Maybe you're new to church this morning. We're going to just take a moment here to close out the service with a time of worship. But it's also a time for you to respond this morning. 
And maybe this morning you walked in and, and life has not been fair to you. Maybe God through his word is just saying, hang in there. Hang in there. I'm faithful. I've got it. I'm in control. Jesus said in Revelation as he appeared to John, I was here before everything was created. I will be here after everything was destroyed. I've got it. You can trust me. And maybe this morning you just need to hear that. And I want to encourage you in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have a time of worship. And, and maybe you just need to come forward this morning and just have a, a time of prayer with the Lord and, and, and replacing your trust in Him, saying, God, I know life is difficult. I know life sometimes is not fair, but I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit to the authority of God in my life, and I'm just going to trust. But maybe this morning you would admit and you would realize today for the first time that you, you have not given your life to Christ and if what I said is true, based on Scripture, if you were to die today, you would spend an eternity getting what was fair. And maybe God has revealed to you today that you need to give your life to Him. You need to call on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I want to ask you real quick this morning, as our eyes are closed around the auditorium, would anyone say this morning, John, I need to give my life to Christ today. I need to place my faith in Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment where you're at? Just place your hand up for a moment. No one's looking around but myself. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Anybody like that, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. There's two of you. Anyone else this morning? You can put your hands down right where you're seated this morning. Cry out to God. You may pray a prayer similar to this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm thankful that Jesus died in my place. I believe Jesus is alive. And I'm placing my faith in him. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. Right now in the quietness of the hour, just talk to God. Is there anybody here this morning as their eyes are, are, are closed? Just for another moment. Anyone say, John? I just took the last few minutes, and best I knew how, I placed my faith in Jesus. Would, would you put your hand up this morning? Thank you. There's three of you. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to encourage you this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand. We have a time of worship. There's going to be people here standing in the front that are going to be facing you. If you'd like to tell someone and, and pray with someone and they would love to open up the Bible and, and, and again give you confidence in the decision you've made through Scripture. And if you'd like to talk to them about that in a moment when we come for, when we stand, you can come forward and just shake our hand and say, I gave my life to Jesus. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are not fair with us. 
We thank you that instead we get grace. Lord, for those in here this morning that have called out to you, Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage to talk to someone about that today, whether that's coming forward, whether that's grabbing a Connect card and, and checking the box and put it in, in the box or hand it to me, Lord, but that they would tell someone about the decision they made today. Lord, for the many of us this morning that, that testified by raising our hand that, that life has been difficult, that there's been trials, that maybe today you would just allow them to, to put it back at you and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to your authority. In the good and the bad, I trust and I follow. Lord, we thank you for grace today. Allow us this morning just to, to close this service in a time of worship. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to sing a familiar song. I know it'll be familiar to most of you this morning. If you'd like to talk to God, and if you want us to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, the altar is open this morning. But let's worship together.